Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. For the second successive summer, it would appear football is not coming home. But we were agonisingly close. England narrowly beaten by the USA in the semi-final on Tuesday in Lyon. The holders will now face the Netherlands in Sunday's final. Plenty then to ponder for Phil Neville and for fans of the women's game. And here to ponder it with us in the studio, the Tottenham goalkeeper Chloe Morgan. And down the line from France, the Times women's football reporter. To Molly Hudson. Later on, we'll be looking ahead to the final itself and whether the Dutch can halt America's dominance. But we start with the Lionesses, who fall at the semi-final stage for the third major tournament in a row. A 2-1 defeat against America in a match that included an England equaliser disallowed for offside by VAR and a penalty awarded to England by VAR, then missed by Steph Horton. Molly, this game, it just had everything. There were such fine margins in it as well. Is this a failure, as Phil Neville suggested it would be pre-match? I think it's very difficult because I think even Phil at the end sort of went back on what he said and he said, you know, there's no reason for tears. As, uh, you know, you can't call it a failure because his players gave absolutely everything and they did. I mean, to come that close against the world champions, undoubtedly the best team in the world. And actually at points we were hanging on and we probably didn't deserve to be as close as we were in the end. The fact that it was just, you know, millimetres of Ellen White's boot and Steph's you know, safe penalty and it and it could have been a draw, it could have even been a, a victory for England. And that shows how hard we fought and I don't think that should be a, a failure. But it's difficult because then you compare it to twenty fifteen and what Mark Sampson did with the squad. And obviously they, they got that historic bronze and, you know, of course that isn't even guaranteed. You you know, you could get to that third place playoff and lose. And Sweden will certainly be a difficult game. But I think the what determines whether it's actually a failure or not is is where we go from here and whether these amazing viewing figures and everything else that we've seen can actually be built on when, you know, we all go home and return to the Women's Super League. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little while. But Matt Dickinson wrote for The Times that Neville can maybe expect to be in demand after the way England have performed. He was briefly linked with the Brighton job this summer. So, Molly, how do you assess the job he's done and do you think he'll still be in charge for the Olympics in Tokyo next summer? I think it's it's almost difficult to say because there's there's been times where you've you've watched England progress to the tournament and they haven't been great but they've got the job done and of course that's that's ultimately the most important thing it's the results that that Phil would be remembered for but at the same time we've we've lost to the the world champions but Phil sort of decided to go with a formation that was a little bit odd it was one he hasn't done before I think you know most people at the game and people watching would say it, it sort of didn't really work. 
ended up reverting back to the 4-2-3-1 um, in the second half. And actually, I think that's when England probably had a little bit more stability. So I don't think you can look at, at what Phil's done and say particularly he's done anything life-changing in terms of you know what he's done managerially. He's been very good with his player coaching and the way every single player was respected and really part of the squad. And I think he's also undoubtedly made the football a lot more attractive than it wasn't to Mark Thompson. And there is more possession, there's more style about the way he plays. But I think ultimately, you know, as soon as they got off that pitch, he was thinking about Tokyo, he was thinking about the Euros. I think whether we see Phil Neville at another World Cup, I don't think so. But I think we do, we do see him in Tokyo. You know, it's only a year. We see him in that home Euros because that's another chance, a massive stage to really build on what we've done here because you look at the Olympics and there's no France, there's no Germany because of the way the qualifying works with the top three European nations. Um, so that's, that's another massive chance to do really well and go far. And I think, yes, there might be interest from, from men's teams and even the Premier League, the Championship, but I think it's a job that he hasn't finished and I think he'll want to win something of note before he goes. Chloe, it's interesting what Molly mentioned there about the formation. It, it did surprise everybody that he went for the the four four two or the four four one one. Why do you think he did that? To be honest, I think he probably was thinking in a defensive mindset. Um, I think he knew that there were going to be a very very strong attack uh, from the US, and it was going to come in waves and waves, and it was going to be pretty relentless. I think a four four two setup or, or having a strong um, setup in both the midfield and defence, and sort of you know, almost kind of hedging your bets that that, that is going to be the, the case for the majority of the game. It, it does sound a little bit pessimistic to be able to set up in that way, but I think if you're not letting goals in and you're not losing games and you can always counter quickly um, and, and get the US when, when they're off guard. But I think it was probably the, the, the right setup. I think initially just to stabilise the team uh, and just get them settled uh, before they started to, to press upwards. But yeah, I think it was, a, it, was, it was a strong game and I think they were strong defensively in the main part. Obviously, we had... A couple of defensive areas, which led then to goals, um, which which weren't great at all. Um, but otherwise, I, you know, I think that the setup was probably probably the best thing to do, just to just to level everyone out and get everyone everyone calm before before it really got ourselves stuck into the game. On Monday's podcast, we spoke about Karen Bardsley and and the importance that she had uh, in the team, and and she was absent due to a hamstring injury. Do you think that could have had any effect on the back line? Um, I think, given that that Telford had already had that game. Um, with Argentina previously, I think there was probably sort of more of a cohesion than, than having a keeper come in who hadn't had any experience of playing in this particular World Cup. So I think in a way it was a fantastic, almost sort of foresight from from Neville, thinking to um, have Telford play in at least one game just in case there was a situation like this where Karen Barsley did have an injury. Um, I think if you've got a good defence, and obviously they, they train together you know, numerous times a week, um, there's always going to be that good cohesion there with, with a defence and, and a goalkeeper who's, who's very experienced and who's played with the majority of them um, week in, week out. So I don't think it would have had too much of an effect. I thought Kyle, Kyle did, a, did a fantastic job. I think in terms of if I was going to sort of raise any criticism against her whatsoever, I think some of the saves, whilst they were absolutely critical, were parried into areas that were quite dangerous. Um, and I think then it was quite lucky that the US either were caught off guard or, or we had managed to sort of clear defensively. But um, no, I, th- I thought she looked strong. Communication was, was great with the squad and, and I'm happy that, that she was able to have that, that experience because she's been waiting for it. It's, it's been a long time coming for her to play it um, in the World Cup and also for a semi-final game is a, is a big is a big uh, moment of achievement for her. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and VAR did play a big role in this game, not for the first time in this World Cup. Ellen White having a goal disallowed for offside, then being awarded a penalty by VAR as well. Molly, did the officials get the decisions right, do you think? 
I think they did. I think mm. particularly the the Ellen White one was so it was so close. But what we always say about VR, what you have, we have to say that it does. It removes that doubt. Yes, she was millimeters off. Yes, it was close. Yes, it was harsh. And yes, every single England fan and us all watching were just thinking, really, is this where we're at? But yes, it is actually. Her toe was offside, and there is no room for movement with VAR. It's either onside or it's offside, and I think that's the way it has to be. I think the penalty was a bit more of a contentious one, whether it was or it wasn't. Ultimately, I think it was. I think you look at how clinical Ellen's been for this whole entire tournament. When she was in that position, she was ready to tap at home, and the defender knew she had to stop her doing that. Now, the question is whether she made an attempt to get the ball or not because if she didn't then you know arguably it should have been a red but I think I think it was the right decision I think you know just sat in that stadium I'll never forget those moments it was, it was so tense it was just the waiting was like unbearable and I think part of that probably makes you know we, we all talk about Steph and the penalties and you know Paris has missed a couple of tournaments as well it's just the the tense the waiting you know that's literally the biggest moment of of your life and you're stood there waiting to find out if you're going to take it or not because you know somebody's watching on a screen so I think it is it's very difficult for the players but I think ultimately what it well where it was the right decision did it did come to the right conclusion and and Molly just before you you were sort of uh, speculating about the future of the women's game and I know that you tweeted that you're a bit scared for the future what is fueling your fear then behind that well I think I've I've covered the women's game for two years obviously for the times and uh, I, I do the domestic competitions I do the Super League you know occasionally I get to the championship we do the Continental Cup you do the midweeks where there's there's part-time players that have got jobs and can't make it to midweek games and this is a failure if it doesn't drip down to those levels and if, if those players that work hard day in day out and get little to no recognition the crowds don't go up then it it, it becomes very difficult because what has been so incredible about this World Cup is the fans, the atmosphere, the professionalism, the way that these players have been treated as heroes, as idols. And, and they have been all of those things. And they deserve to be all those things. And and they're going to go back in it. And you worry that it, well, I worry that it will be the same. And I think, you know, Barclays have invested in the Super League and obviously the branding. And, you know, there's a couple of teams today, um, Aston Villa have announced that they're putting more money behind their women's team and, a couple of teams have lost the the ladies tag and are going for the women, the professional sort of name, I guess. But, you know, what you have to remember is I was I was looking yesterday and just trying to find simple things like ticket prices, season ticket prices, and it, they just don't exist. And what should be happening at this moment is every single club around the world, not just in England, should be capitalising on the success, the, the eyes of the nation. You know, 11.7 million people watch the Nine S's. All we're asking for is a few thousand of those people to get down and get to the Women's Super League, get to the championship. And I think, you know, that ultimately will determine whether this is a success. Because in four years' time, there'll be another World Cup. There'll be another chance for the Lionesses to win the World Cup. But, you know, in those four years, we have to build on that and to inspire the next generation to to play the game and to to have the kind of depth and talent that the US have and what ultimately made them made them so difficult to beat. 
Yeah, as you pointed out, 11.7 million watched that game on the BBC. It's the most watched television programme of the year. And and as Molly was speaking, Chloe, you were nodding along. You obviously firmly agree with what she's been saying about trying to embrace this women's game going forward. Yeah, completely. I mean, everything that Molly was saying was was absolutely on point. I couldn't agree more with with every single point. Um, I think from my own experiences, obviously playing in the Championship last season, um, with Spurs and you know at the start of the season we were seeing crowds of maybe four, five hundred, six hundred people and towards the end of the season whilst it might not be a lot in, in comparison to the men's game we were starting to see crowds of 1,200, 1,300 people coming to the games especially the bigger games with Man City, Man United um, in, the, in the FA Cup rounds so you know you can see already like the past couple of years I think has been absolutely astronomical in, in where women's football has gone with the She Believes Cup and, and the attendances and then at Wembley at the FA Cup finals and you know you are starting to see more more promotion of the women's game generally even in the build-up to the World Cup I think the World Cup has come at a, an absolutely critical point uh, for women's football I think it really consolidated all that momentum going forwards and I just I am of the view of you know I, I, I do share Molly's concerns really that you know, whilst we've had this absolute peak period for, for women's football, I don't want it to be a peak. I want this to be actually a stepping stone into the next um, progression of, of, of the game. I think even in terms of Barclays new, new investment into the Women's Super League uh, this season for the first time, it's already been classified as the Barclays Women's Super League. And there are talks now for, um, for it to be the Premier League at some point in the future. And, and loads of clubs are getting involved in discussions about having the women's games at the, the men's stadiums or having their own stadiums built. So, you can start to see the groundwork really starting to, to take off, and that's obviously been 10, 15 years in the, pro, in the, in the, in the, sort of in the making, but it's only really been this past couple of years that I can say, you know, I'm starting to see a lot more of women's football on the back pages, the, the front pages, the, the middle sections. There's more women's clubs, there's more girls' clubs about. Um, there's more funding in the game, there's more cohesion between the men and women's clubs. So I think it's it's gone from strength to strength, but I, but I do also have a... A bit of a fear that I, I just want to make sure that it's that it's it's going in the right direction yeah. going forward. But it's been a fantastic time to be a part of part of the game, definitely. It's interesting what you mentioned there about the Premier League. There are discussions, uh, I believe, beginning about whether the Premier League take over the running of the WSL. Uh, Molly, for you, does that sound the right thing to do? Because obviously, we know the Premier League can develop a product. I think it's so so difficult, and whether it happens or not may well determine you know, what happens next to the women's game and whether it does reach that next level because, you know, you look at the, the Donny Bells, the Yeovils, the Sunderlands that have, that have been lost in the way that the FA have grown the Super League and the Championship and undoubtedly you are getting to a stage, you know, with Chloe and Tottenham you know, where where men's teams are coming in and they are actually waking up and investing in the women's game and that's amazing but what do you do for a, for a club like Birmingham, for example, that, that isn't in the Premier League but they've they've always competed well in the in the top division of the women's league, and now they're losing all their players because these other teams are waking up and realising that actually women's football is something they want to be part of. So in the end, I think it almost does become a Premier League anyway because every team in the Premier League will feel they need to have a women's game, and therefore they won't just want to want to have one; they want to have the best one, and that's what we've seen for Manchester United. But I think you know. It's difficult because what what do you do for those clubs then? What do you do for your Bergams, your Yeovils and all of that? Do you just forget everything they've done for the women's game and the way that they've gone gone and believed in it and developed it when, when others didn't? So I think it, it's very difficult and you're always going to upset one party or another. But I think perhaps if, if after this World Cup we don't get a growth in attendances and then something big has to change and, and perhaps that that will be a Premier League takeover.
Uh, so England won't be contesting the final on Sunday, but they do still have uh, one more game to go and the chance to secure a second successive third place finish. It is a chance also for Ellen White to stake her claim for the golden boot. She is level with Alex Morgan on six goals. Chloe, what is it that makes White so prolific, do you think? Um, I mean, I could write a shopping list, really. <laughs> it's um, She's incredible, I think, on and off the pitch. But, but talking purely about the way that she is on the pitch, I mean, she's fast, she's energetic, she's passionate, she is a, is a good leader at the front, um, she has the ability just to see spaces that, that no one else sees. Um, I mean, you can bet 99.9 to 100% of times that if there's a ball coming in from, from a corner position, she's going to get a, a foot, a toe, a, an eyebrow on the end of that ball to do anything she can to put it in. And even given how, how the goal went in on, on the, uh, the USA game, I mean, at that level to be playing against the best team in the world and to find space um, to then just do a cheeky flick, just straight across the, the keeper. The keeper had absolutely no chance. And it was just the most magical moment. But that, that's that's the special kind of niche that, that, that Ellen brings to the team is that she can create chances out of seemingly very difficult or, or sort of impossible situations. And she does it time in, time out. Um, and with such a cool and calm head as well. I mean, I think I was a, a, a little bit surprised that she wasn't going to be selected. I can understand, in a way, Nikita Paris maybe being a little bit shakier than, than she would be before having come off the back of two penalty misses. But to me, I thought Alan White was going to be the obvious second choice there. So I was a little bit a bit surprised at that. But, you know, Steph stepped up. I can appreciate how difficult that situation would be and, and the pressure that she was under. And obviously, I think Phil Neville had had some discussions with the girls previously and trained um, quite a lot and, and had a lot of penalty um, practices in, in place and apparently Steph was the second choice and, and the most consistent in, in that. But from a, from our perspective, obviously not having a view into the training ground, Ellen White from, from an outsider perspective would definitely have been my, my first choice to, to, to step up and, and take that. Yeah, an incredible achievement to score six goals at a World Cup, it has to be said. And uh, we will see what happens on Saturday and whether or not Ellen White can claim that golden boot. Now, the final question, and it's the big question on everyone's lips. How do we feel about Alex Morgan's tea drinking celebration, Molly? Well, um, hmm. it's one of those where at the time you sort of see what it meant and you think, you know, this is a player that's just scored in a World Cup semi-final and, you know, there was probably a bit of talk about Alex Morgan actually going into the game and, and whether she was as good as she used to be. You know, she she is ageing as, as a lot of the American stars are and it was probably trying to prove a point and you criticise it, you can't help but criticise it and you look at it and you think that's disrespectful but then looking back on it, you know, one, two days later, you actually think, you know, how many times have we seen male players do celebrations like that and we don't even think twice about it. Mm. So why should why should a female celebration be treated any differently? Why shouldn't a celebration be whatever you want it to be? And, you know, there's there's been some pretty weird and wonderful celebrations in the Premier League and at men's World Cups over the years. And, you know, it's what she did in that moment. And, you know, I think you just have to accept it and, and, and move on. I think you can't you can't look at it too, too harshly, I don't think. Mm. Chloe, did it bother you in any way? Um, I've got to admit, when I did see it, I think it was kind of a, a, a thorn in my side um, <laughs> initially. Um, I think Molly's completely right. I think there are much worse celebrations that, that go on in, in, in the men's game. Um, but I think in particular for, for the World Cup, whilst I kind of hold the players to a kind of almost higher standard, which is sort of quite a controversial thing to say, but... I think where the Women's World Cup has been such an inspiration to especially younger females coming into the, the game and, and younger boys coming into the game as well, I think a celebration like that 
it shouldn't be something that we just have as a commonplace. Oh, okay, well, it's, it's accepted in the men's game, so we should accept it in the women's game. Actually, I think there is a higher standard there for players in the women's game who know how influential this particular World Cup was to to the women's game back in their in their home countries. So, I do think it could have been toned down a little bit better. Uh, I understand that she's obviously very excited about about the goal, and obviously the, the emotions are running high, but. At the same time, I, I do think you have to look carefully about the impact that you're having on, on, on young people coming up through the game. And it wasn't just the, the tea sipping that was so much the, the thing that I took the most issue with. It was some of the rolling on the floor. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there was a couple of uh, free kicks that, that she was awarded, but I think that she went down rather softly. And I think that kind of thing, whilst it is, I think, slightly more accepted in the in the men's game, it, it, it's something that I would be very cautious of trying to accept as a, as a commonplace thing in, in the women's game. Because I think, generally speaking, we haven't seen a lot of dives and, and rolling around and and moaning at the referees too much. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It will be the Netherlands who take on the USA on Sunday. The first semi-final was action-packed. The second semi, not so much. But the Dutch saw off Sweden 1-0 after extra time last night to reach their first ever World Cup final. Molly, it's the chance to add the World Cup then to their European Championship title. And they've become quite the force in the women's game, haven't they? Definitely. I think the, actually, we sort of, considering this last night, as we sort of watched and thought, oh my goodness, what an awful game. But we actually just thought, you know, the Netherlands have almost overtaken England when, when you look at it that way. You look at this was their first World Cup semi-final and obviously they won the Euros in 2017 and what that did for their country and the way they love women's football is just incredible. And, you know, we talk about the legacy and that definitely has been a legacy over there. And they've, they've really, you know, the orange wall, the amazing scene to the bus and the fans on the way to games. And it's just, you know... It's so lovely to see how they've embraced women's football. And actually, they've they've got such incredible talent. You look at that, that front three of Lika Martins, Vivian Miedemar, and um, you know, last night was Berenstein or Shanice van der Sanden. They've just got this incredible talent, and the way they play is, is very attractive, and they're very good technically. I think last night was just it was just one of those games, you know, you get them in a wild cup, it wasn't great. 
But again, there, it was a moment of quality from Jackie Gronin, the, the new Manchester United signing that, that got them over the line. And actually, I think they'll pose some problems for the US because in the same way that England were really struggled defensively but did actually manage to get through quite a few times in the attack, I think it'll be very similar. I think it'll be an entertaining game. And I think, you know, if me, Damar and Martins and, and those types of players can have good games, so it certainly won't be, won't be a walkover. And the US shouldn't underestimate what the Netherlands can bring. I mean, it's incredible. They had to get through two playoffs just to get here. And now, now they're in the World Cup final and that's, that's a credit to them and their players and, and their manager as well. Yeah, this is only their second ever World Cup. They'd only won just one World Cup match prior to this tournament. Their winner, as you say, was scored by uh, Jackie Gronin in the 99th minute. She'll be lining up for Manchester United, as you've uh, pointed out, Molly, in the WSL next season. And, and Chloe, there is a wealth of Dutch players in this division, isn't there? Yeah, massively so. I mean, you've got Bloodworth, uh, Miedemar, uh, Wienendahl, um, the majority of which are, are in Arsenal at the moment, which is probably why they've had such a, a fantastic um, season. I mean, that they're a fantastic team. I think individually that the players are, are just sort of world-class, really. I mean, yes, the, the match yesterday didn't seem... It seemed a little bit lethargic, a little bit quiet, um, quite um, silent, really, in, in parts and not really much to, to sort of write home about. But I think on their best days, they can really pose a massive a massive threat and a massive challenge to teams. And they've got some world-class players there, the likes of which, obviously, we will see in, in the WSL next season. So I think it's going to be a hotly contested um, WSL. I don't think, whilst Arsenal are obviously very, very strong at the moment, I think that they're still going to find some difficulties with, with the other teams. Chelsea, Man City again, Man United, I think they're going to be looking quite strong again this season. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a, a lot of competition going about. I know in the past, in, in previous podcasts, we've spoken about the Orange Army and how well-supported the Dutch are. Um, this perhaps, Molly, could be the meeting of the two most passionate sets of fans. I think so. I think the, the US, you know, I mean, even now I'm, I'm sat in a, in a hotel reception, there's just Americans everywhere. They've, they've literally taken over France. And that's what's so incredible about the US and the support they have, the whole nation's behind them. And I think that means such a lot to their players. And, and that's why, part of the reason why women's soccer is so successful over there, because it is just seen as our soccer and it's it's not compared to the men's game or anything. It's its own thing and it's its own success. Um, and I think that you know that's part of the way that that the Netherlands have embraced it as well. I know you know they the fans flock to open trainings when they have friendlies and things uh, in Holland. They just they've just really really love it. And even last night, you know, it was, it was a quite poor game. The transport links aren't amazing once you get to sort of after midnight in Lyon. And you know that Netherlands Orange Army was still there. They were still blowing their trumpets and waving their flags. And, you know, they, they deserve this success. And I think it will be an amazing atmosphere. And Leon is a, is a lovely stadium. And it's, if it can get anything like that England-America game, it's just incredible. And, you know, once again, it will expect it to be in attendance way over 50,000, which is amazing for the women's game. Yeah, fantastic to hear that. And this will be only the second World Cup final to feature two female managers. Jill Ellis takes on Serena Weigman. And Molly, we've talked about the progression of the players and the overall standard. What about the evolution of female coaches? I think actually what is probably the most important thing and the mark of the success of these women coaches is that you don't look at them as women, you just look at them as coaches. And I think there's not a single point at this tournament where England has played a team or I've gone to cover a different match and I thought, oh, that manager's a woman or that manager's a man. They've just been the manager of their nation at a World Cup. And I think that, that speaks volumes for where we are with the game. Um, I, w- I would also say that, you know, Phil Neville has talked about this a lot and he 
yeah, I suspect, obviously, for a lot of women, a woman's sport in his life, what his sister's done, and he's always been around that sort of strong woman. And I think he was saying that, actually, he's worked with some amazing female coaches, and probably the only difference is that the women perhaps don't believe in themselves and don't push themselves forward for these opportunities enough. And actually, it's shown that the women that have, and, you know, you look at the likes of Emma Hayes in the, in the Women's Super League, just an incredible manager and an incredible woman that's, that's done so much for the game, that actually, when they get their opportunities, they're, they're incredible. And I think it's really important that we try and develop that and ensure that there's a lot more women getting their coaching badges as well. You know, we talk a lot about the Women's Super League and the legacy of this tournament, but hopefully it's also inspired some, some young girls out there to be coaches and also referees because if you're without those things, you don't have the game that we all love and enjoy. The USA are understandably the favourites aiming to win their fourth World Cup. Netherlands in their first final. I know, Chloe, you've suggested you're excited about this final, looking forward to it. Do you give the Dutch much of a chance? I do. I think if their performance is anything like yesterday's, I think they will definitely struggle and it could be quite an easy game for, for the US. I think, realistically, the US must have been sitting there thinking that this is going to be a bit of a walk in the park, really, from, from how things were yesterday. But that, that shouldn't be the kind of be-all and end-all of, of, of the analysis of, of how the Dutch squad have been for the entire um, tournament. I think on their best game, I think the Dutch are definitely going to pose a threat. Like you said, you've got uh, Miedemar up there, Bloodworth, and, and then you've also got the defensive um, strong line from, you know, Wielendal has been an absolutely fantastic keeper this tournament. I think definitely one of the best, if not one of the, the, the top keepers of the, of the tournament. So, you know, trying to trying to put any, any kind of goal past there is going to be a, a tough ask. Saying that, the US have completely had the tournament of their lives they've they've made games look effortless at, at points and I and I really thought that out of any teams in the competition that were going to cause them the most threat it was going to be England um, and if obviously they've managed to, to defeat us I think going forwards I would probably put my money on, on the US to to be the overall winners of, of the competition I don't think that'll be much of a surprise to to a lot of people but I would hope that the Dutch come out there and and really have that underdog mentality of thinking do you know what we want to cause a lot of upset here and I and I hope in a, in a kind of way they they do it'd be quite nice to have a, a new a new leader a new a new winner um and also to maybe get rid of some of that complacency from the US side <laughs> yeah uh, what was surprising though from that semi-final lineup from the US was that there was no Megan Rapino. do we expect to see her return Molly um, I think she's been speaking to the American media and she's quite confident that she'll be back. I think it was all very odd um, at the start of that England game as to whether she was injured or what had really happened. And it you know, eventually came out that she'd been injured. But I think, you know, with a hamstring injury, it's very odd. You, you think of Karen Barsley, who was visibly limping through the mix zone after the semi-final and you know, knew that she was never going to play the third-place game and that was her tournament over. Whereas I think for Rapino, it wasn't to the same grade of hamstring injury. And I think... You know, it's crazy. The, the Americans could bring in Christian Press, who had 122 caps and was and ended up scoring against England. I think it shows you the strength and depth that the US do have. And if Rapino doesn't play, of course it's a blow, not just for how good she is in the pitch, but as a captain, as a leader, she's incredible. And she's probably the, the image of this US team and maybe the whole tournament, that, that pink blonde hair and the way she sort of carried herself and has been such an inspiration for so many young girls but I think you know she'll be desperate to play and I think I think in the end she'll make it and finally a word on Sweden they shocked everyone when they knocked out Germany previously were they unlucky in the semi-final Chloe do you think it's hard to say I think they were slightly lethargic again with with the Dutch team um 
I think both both teams were, were fairly flat in, in that game compared to how we've seen them in, in previous performances. Um, I think they were still strong at points. They definitely still posed a, a threat. Um, I think in the, in the towards the end of the second half, especially, they seemed to flag quite a lot, which obviously allowed the, the Dutch to come in. But we see the likes of players like Blackstinius, who is able to, to thread herself in and out of, of defensive back lines with, with quite ease and a lot of pace. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do you know, they're not going to be a team to sit back and, and just sort of wait for, for England to come at them. They're going to be attacking. They have the potential to cause an upset. My money is still on England. Obviously, I know you're slightly biased. Um, but at the same time, I think England have been completely strong um, for the entire tournament. And, and like I said, I think, you know, to, to put up that kind of performance against the US and to then go against um, a team like Sweden, who again are strong, but, but obviously not as strong as the US, I think, you know, England should be coming out as a, as a third place in, in this in this match. Molly, are you equally as confident that England can come away as uh, the third place side in this World Cup? Um, I think. Well, I went to Sweden, uh, England in Rotherham last year, and England were just utterly outplayed on every single level by Sweden. And you looked at that team and you thought, actually, you know, people shouldn't underestimate them. They could be a dark horse for for the World Cup, and that's exactly what they've turned out to be. And I think what they have is their strength, their unity, their togetherness. And I think actually for them, you know, in the same way that England perhaps, you know, they won the bronze in the last tournament, for Sweden they'll be desperate to get the bronze. And I think actually it'll be a very, very difficult game. I think it will help England. They have had the extra day, which is in this heat, you know, it's just energy sapping. And when you get to the stage of the tournament, it's the seventh game for both of these teams. And I think that does play a part and that rest will be a big element of the game. But also, you know, you think about Phil Neville and what, what England side he actually picks, picks the play because, you know, every single player has taken to the field except Mary Earp, um, the third-choice goalkeeper. And with Bardsley injured and Telford, Telford played against the US, you wonder if he gives Earp, you know, that, that chance to play in the World Cup and you wonder how strong he, he makes the rest of his team. Obviously, you'd expect Ellen White to start, but I think it'll, it'll be really interesting to see who these teams actually play and how seriously they take it because, you know, both of these sides have now secured Olympic qualification as well, so they don't have that to ride off. Well, we'll see what happens in that uh, third place uh, playoff match. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Chloe Morgan and Molly Hudson. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday for a look back at France 2019. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Listener.